gospel according to John, the fourth chapter. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, because his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Because Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and this well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that, that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming back here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husbands and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, because you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you said the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, trust me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, but neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is even now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in the lack of light and in truth. Because the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is breath of life, and those who worship him must worship in the breath of life and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. 
Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then, Jesus' disciples came, and they were astonished that Jesus was speaking with a woman. And nobody said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? And just then, the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. And she said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? And they left the city and were on their way to Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me, to complete his work. Do you not say, four months more, and then comes the harvest? But I'm telling you, look around and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Because here, the saying holds true. One sows, and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city trusted in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. And Jesus did stay there for two days. And many more trusted because of Jesus' word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we trust because we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Sometimes people ask me, are you ever nervous to preach? And I tell you, every time I preach, I'm nervous. I'm nervous that some kind of <clears throat> word from God would be experienced and heard. That some kind of breath of life and truth would be experienced. Especially this week, I'm nervous. What to say today? What I worry about is, oh, we're blowing it out of proportion, or oh, we're not taking it seriously. And we certainly live in a time where we are polarized. 
And it sometimes does seem like there is denial on the one hand and panic and paranoia on the other hand. And not a whole lot of room in the middle to take it seriously and yet to live life, to, to go on in a meaningful way and to stay calm. And that's what St. Paul's leaders trying to do. And I'm really grateful for them because we've had long conversations, of long conversations like this long conversation, in which I'm convinced Jesus was really present. And we could just speak what we felt was true, whether we knew what was exactly right or not, but that we ultimately made a decision together. So let's talk about thirst. Thirst is a desire. I want you to notice how this woman was approaching her thirst solely on a, on a physical level, on a practical level, on a, the level of what can be seen. Jesus was coming at thirst Yes, from that level, because he started with him being tired and thirsty and asking her for a drink. And also recognizing the deeper depths that are there, that there is unseen. Things that people might call impractical. Thirst on a soul level. And through the course of this conversation, it becomes clear. And maybe this clarity can hold up a mirror to us. That this woman was thirsty not just for the water in this well, but for love. And that there was a thirst that had not been quenched, despite five husbands and another man in her life who was not showing love. There's a, a reckoning that happens in this conversation. Actually, three R's. Here they are. There's a, a reckoning and a resonance and a reunion. There's a reckoning here, not just in this woman's life as an individual, but also on a much larger scale. A reckoning between Jews and Samaritans, their history of division and hate. There's a reckoning at this well. There's also a resonance. It's this resonance of truth that finally allows these two people to connect, to find their way to each other. As as if they were two people stumbling toward each other in a dark room. It's the resonance of truth. And you can hear for ourselves how guarded this woman was, how confused by him even talking to her, let alone this pocket living water. But she spoke the truth of her life 
which is, I have no husband. And Jesus recognized that as true. And Jesus spoke truth too, but even more than just the words that he was saying. I feel like she sensed his genuine love. The, the fact that he authentically wanted to give something to her. And even if she fully didn't understand what that was, and the words that he was saying weren't really computing, that that resonance was what allowed her to take a step in his direction. That resonance brought them together. The resonance of a breath of life. The resonance of truth. They say that the only way any of us ever learn is through resonance. And that seems to be what happened here. I mean, I actually changed just slightly the words that you might find in your Bible around that resonance. Jesus talks about the spirit and truth. For Jews, spirit you know, we often think about spirit as the opposite of matter, right? We've broken things down into two parts. There's the spirit and there's the physical. Jews didn't see it that way. Jews understood spirit, the spirit of God, to be the breath of God, which already speaks about how spirit and matter are bound together, as if it requires lungs and a throat and a mouth which to experience that spirit. It's a physical thing. And it's a breath of life. Truth is something we struggle with, I think, in the same way. We, we have this idea you know, people can append to the end of whatever they've said. I'm just being honest, as if that excludes them from any accountability to what they have just said and the effect that it has on the people who hear it. People talk about brutal honesty without recognizing there's no such thing. There is honesty and there is brutality. Those could not be farther. Truth is always a servant of love, or it is not truth at all. And it's the resonances of that love in the honesty of what Jesus is saying and the way he's engaging this woman that allow a connection to happen. And so when all that happens, there's this reunion. A deep reconnection with the source. The source of life, the source of, of love, the source of truth, the source of living water, who Jesus is. Every time we gather, we, we share bread, we share wine, we have water moments. And the things that we say theologically about bread and wine 
is that in communion, Jesus is really present. That this bread and this wine somehow has Jesus really in presence. And it's something akin to what happens here. I mean, this woman has come at noon to draw water. Nobody in this hot, dry desert place comes to the well at noon because it's too dang hot. Everybody comes in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening. So she has come wanting or expecting to be alone. But she finds that that's not possible. That there is a presence here. There is Jesus. Not just a stranger who's asking her for a drink, but somebody who's going deeper than she expected to go. And too often, too often we've been so wounded by our encounters with other people, too traumatized that we feel like the only safe place there is to be is alone. Jesus is inviting us into a deeper relationship and a deeper reunion because he knows that the danger of isolation is so much more. Jesus invites her to the soul's level where she can finally express, maybe even come to realize the thirst that's been hiding in the middle of her life. And for us, maybe that is fear or worry or angry anger at how people are responding to this coronavirus. Either way, whatever it is, we just stop and listen to your fear, your worry, your anger, frustration, as if that feeling was a child that you loved so deeply. And in listening to that child, showing up, bringing your presence to the presence of your feelings, can show you what you're really thirsting for, whether you're afraid or whether you're angry or something else entirely. I mean, to say that there is real presence in this bread and wine requires that we show up in some kind of way. You know, when you walk into a room and there's somebody else in the room, what would it be like if you didn't look at them, make eye contact, greet them, acknowledge their presence in someone. A lot of us aren't capable of presence. In this presence, this real kind of a presence that Jesus has. The kind of presence that means we are capable of being attentive to ourselves and the other person. Hearing what they say and what it means for them, instead of just trying to figure out how I'm going to argue with me, what I'm going to say next, what is what they're saying mean to me, 
How are they expressing their hearts? <clears throat> thirst? Who are they as a, as a person? How is their life shaped? To do presence in that way requires an openness. You know, it's an open hand to not a closed fist. It's vulnerability. It's hard. I mean, I know that when I come home from work, sometimes I just want everybody in the house to shut up so I can go on my cake and watch my house. And we all need rest, and we all need disconnection. But if that's all there is, if it's just home and work, and I'm not engaging deeply with the people that come into contact with every day, if I'm not engaging deeply with my wife, my kids, there's a problem. The problem is I'm not open to the real presence. Because if Jesus, his real presence is with this bread and wine, it means that Jesus' real presence is in you when you eat it. Is in the world, is in everything that we can touch and taste, see and smell and hear. And maybe you've had those experiences where you think you're alone. You expect to be alone. And you realize you're not. There is a presence of love, presence in this world, who is Christ, calling us back to the source, giving us kind of water that will satisfy the deepest of our thirsts. So what does that mean for us in the middle of a pandemic? It means that we do our best to make decisions that will help us stay connected and safe at the same time. I mean, today, I have available in the back church directories, names, phone numbers, contact information, and especially a, a one-page sheet that's our homebound list, the, the people in our congregation who are at risk of not only contracting disease, but also being <clears throat> most isolated, most vulnerable. And there's been a number of times when St. Paul people have come to me and said, who is this Glory Reynolds person? I got a birthday card in the mail. I've never met this person. Who are they? There's a presence we didn't expect. So the directory, that list of names, it's an invitation to show up to the presence in this congregation. Maybe not in person, but through a phone call, through a card, and I put it in the mail. And to do that not only with St. Paul people, but with others in your life. I mean, honestly, this coronavirus thing has given me an excuse to reach out to friends and family I haven't talked to in a long time. And just say, how you guys doing? What are things like in your neck of the woods? And here is 
life. It's that deep connection between people. And with this real presence that is both within and beyond people, that's what makes life eternal. Love is what makes life eternal and indestructible. Whether we're healthy or unhealthy, love. There are many dangers in our world. The greatest is to move through life without God. And what Jesus has invited is us to be open so that we can give and receive it, even if it's just with a wave or a phone call. Thanks be to God.